0: Welcome to Art Talks. I am Richard Codd, your host for today's show about art here in Moab, in Utah, and around the country. As we enter 2021, many areas of the world and the United States are still deep in the throes of the COVID-19 virus. Here in Utah, we've experienced some of the highest infection rates in the country. Masks are mandatory, social distancing is still encouraged, And many of us are squirreled away in our winter dens, hoping for the speedy distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine. A few weeks ago, I read a story about what museums have been doing over the past year to make their collections and programs more readily available to the public. The article also explored how museums might incorporate elements of their new virtual tours and exhibitions in their array of services after covid I did some further research on how museums have been affected by the pandemic and what they were doing to survive until things returned to normal, or at least in our post-COVID world. And what I found was pretty disturbing. A few months ago, the American Association of Museums conducted a survey of its members, and the results show the COVID pandemic has directly led to the loss of hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. And it's caused thousands of furloughs and staff layoffs and led to the cancellation of the exhibitions and programs at virtually every museum in the country. In May, the International Council of Museums conducted a study of museums around the world and found that over 85,000 closed their doors for varying amounts of time since the start of the pandemic. Some have never reopened. The situation is particularly dire in developing countries. The council report further added that 13% may never reopen. To give some perspective on what museums mean to the economy in the United States, here are some figures to consider. Museums contributed almost $50 billion to the gross domestic product. They generated over $12 billion in taxes and were responsible for 726,000 direct and indirect jobs. When the pandemic hit in January of 2020, most museums closed and laid off or furloughed tens of thousands of employees. Many have since reopened, but with limited hours, reduced programming, and fewer staff and volunteers. The American Association of Museums reported that the industry was losing over $33 million per day as a result of having to close their doors and cancel major exhibits. The financial losses, according to the study, have been widespread. Almost 90% of the museums indicated the the pandemic could result in losses of over 20 to 60% of their income. And perhaps even more frightening, 33% said they were at risk of closure. The University of California at Irvine and the Museum of California Art published an article in its August 2020 newsletter that said the closure of U.S. museums would have a severe cultural impact on local communities. The article stated, Museums are the cornerstones of our communities, hosting millions of visitors in person and virtually while providing meaningful and educational experiences for children, students, and adults of all ages. They offer vital platforms for artists, societies, risk-takers, innovators, and pioneers to be seen and heard. The article went on to say, through their collections, programming, and facilities, great museums are vibrant community centers as well as must-see destinations. I, for one, am anxious to be able to soon travel again and get to visit some of our wonderful museums here in Utah. For today's show, I reached out to the Utah Museum of Fine Arts, which is located on the campus of the University of Utah and the Mower Museum to hear how they have been impacted by the COVID pandemic and what their plans are for continuing to offer services to their visitors, whether online or in person. First up is my interview with Gretchen Dietrich. Ms. Dietrich is the director of the Utah Museum of Fine Art. She has been at the museum since 2008. Thank you, Gretchen, for joining us here on KZMU. Let's talk about COVID and how it has impacted the museum and what you've done to um, attract more visitors and make your facilities more available during these extremely difficult times. So tell me, when did the museum actually close due to COVID?
1: Believe it or not, we closed, Richard, on Friday, March 13th. <laughs> huh. That was the day, and we, um, we remained closed until uh-huh. August 25th. So we felt, especially as a university art museum on the campus of the University of Utah, we felt we had fewer people on campus during the summer anyway. Right. And people were deeply concerned about COVID and what it, how it was impacting communities. So we remained closed until the beginning of the fall semester. And at that time reopened with limited hours, just Wednesday through Friday afternoons and felt very confident. You know, by that time too, we had more information about COVID and how COVID was spread from person to person. So we felt like we had more information to keep both our staff and our visitors safe. And I'm really happy to say that we have no evidence of anyone catching COVID at the museum. It seems like, seems like a pretty safe endeavor to visit the museum and even to work there right now. Although the vast majority of our staff is working from home like me.
0: Oh, okay. Um, so tell me how, how did the museum adapt to the visitor experience?
1: Well, I think, I mean, taking a step back even from that, we fell back on our core values as an organization, and we we consider ourselves a community organization. We consider Mm -hmm. ourselves in service to our community, both campus and across the city of Salt Lake and across the state of Utah. And so in that spirit, we really called and reached out to people we're in contact with both our membership and visitors as well as community partners and artists that we know and work with regularly as well as educators across the state of utah and we asked people how they're doing and we asked people how the museum could help them and we did an awful lot of work um, over the summer and and into the fall semester to support educators K through 12 educators as well as higher ed uh, faculty in bringing art into curriculum, in bringing art into their classrooms. Mm-hmm. Know, now their classrooms are Zoom classrooms. Right, right. But we recognize that you know what do we have to share with with our community? We have an amazing art collection. Yes. And we have, and, and I'll tell you one thing, art is about the human experience. And if you walk through our galleries as you can now, cause we're reopened, As you walk through our galleries, you see works of art that are hundreds, and in some cases, thousands of years old, that have been made by human beings during very challenging circumstances. If you think about the history of the world and the amount of plague that has existed Mm -hmm. before, it's new to us, it's not new to humanity and humankind, Mm -hmm. or war and famine and the, the real hardships that human beings have lived through and survived, right? It's um it's kind of humbling to look at some of the works of art on our walls now and see them with these new covid perspectives that we have unfortunately you know developed over this past this last bit of time.
0: Let's let's talk a little bit about um the kinds of exhibits that you make available now to the say the K to 12 or me if if I just log on to UMFA Have you done anything to your online material that would make it easier or a a different experience than if I just walked into the museum and said, oh, look at that painting?
1: Absolutely. We're seeing this in the museum field and in the nonprofit field. How do you engage with community, engage with people (laughs) when you can't? bring them into your facility or they don't want to come to visit you what do you do and it and the move has really been to digital to you know to pivot to using the the internet and uh, and finding new ways to connect to people and yes it's been challenging but in many ways we didn't have a choice so we made the pivot and made the changes because we had to Mm -hmm. and we've learned so much Richard and we've found that There are we have found in a really lovely way that there are people joining us and participating in our programs that are virtual now who wouldn't necessarily or didn't necessarily uh, participate before. So, for example, we do an we used to do a mindfulness meditation program in the museum's galleries and it was always it's just wonderful program midday program sort of around lunchtime and we would usually have between 15 and 20 people participating in that program Mm -hmm. and I think recently my staff told me they had 92 people on a call with our amazing meditation instructor talking about art and taking a minute just to calm their minds and to meditate
0: yeah that's really interesting
1: so we, we began sharing more about our collections and about our programming on our website, on our blog, on our social media platforms. We had at the time when we closed some beautiful Japanese art special exhibitions on view, and we did a curator-led Zoom tour, quote-unquote, of those exhibitions. We expanded online image galleries so people could look at the art. We live-streamed in collaboration uh, with a, another organization's Japanese Anime Film. Mm. We started Friendlier you know, friendly kids, sort of hands-on art art activities where families could sort of easily get their hands on the materials they would need for those programs and make art together with their children, um, inspired by the museum. Uh, we've done yoga and mindfulness virtually. Mm. We did a Mexican art history class that was awesome and brought people from all across the country. It was wonderful. So <laughs> it's we've learned a lot about how to function in a different way. And it's allowed us to connect to community members that we don't always connect with. Mm-hmm. And it's going to ultimately make us a better art museum. I, I, I think it's a really good thing, ultimately.
0: That's what I was going to ask um, about the future exhibitions that you may do. It seems to me that museums may have found a whole new market. I don't know whether that's the right phrase, but all of a sudden you have this uh, collection of art that people from all around the world at some point may say, I know that painting and it's in the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. And... like you were just saying about working with the Japanese um, uh, program, that I can see a time when perhaps Utah Museum of Fine Arts or Springville Museum has a way to attract visitors from around the world now via uh, virtual exhibitions.
1: Yeah. I mean, we we've been available to scholars in a way that the general public probably just doesn't think about. You know? okay. So, you know, if you're an art historian and you're doing research on a certain artist and you would through your research, you would find that we have work by that artist in our collection and we have a collections database. And right. you might reach out to my staff and we might send you good high, high resolution images so that you could really study the work oh and
2: okay
0: it to,
1: and it used to be that art historians would travel right and go and see works sure. art that they're studying in person and hopefully we'll get back to that someday but um you know we a large portion of our collection is digitized and so people can kind of you know if you look on our website you can you can access our database and um, and sort of see what we have. And I love to think that while, um, you know, art historians and researchers know that that's how that works, I love to think that the broader public is sort of getting hip to that as well. And it's true. I mean, I'm sure you've done it, but you can you can dig around the British Museum right now on their website, and you can oh, visit the Louvre.
0: Oh, can, totally. And I yeah, do. That's
1: amazing. I, and,
0: yeah, you're right. And I do do that. And... A couple of years ago, we were at the Riks Museum in Amsterdam.
1: Absolutely. One of the great museums in oh. the world.
0: And you could not get near many of the paintings I wanted to see. The Van Goghs. Um, you just, the Night watch. You were, you, you know, I, I was way in the back. And although I could see the painting, you know, the, uh, what is it, the the, the, the milk milk made, you know, the oh, sure, the, Vermeer. the Vermeer, the and Vermeer, and, and you're so close, but you can't really get up to it. And then when I, I would go online, you can get right down to a, you know, a half an inch. And yep. just to see the brush strokes and the colors that you think is green is actually several colors that are, yep. that just appear green. But as you get closer, and, and I'm wondering what will art scholars, will, will they use this more in the future than trying to stand at a museum twenty people back.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, again, art scholars get kind of special access. So oh. if you, you know, if you're a credentialed art historian and you're doing research on an artist, you would reach out to your colleague, the curator at that museum, even the Reichs Museum, mm-hmm. and you might be invited to come before the museum opens to the public. I see. You might get, get a little extra special. Oh, okay. Um, A little extra special access right Uh, most museums really uh work hard to make their collections accessible and available to scholars that's important for what we do but i also think it's just really important for regular people like you and me you know just people who love art and want to be in proximity to it and learn about it and look at it i would also argue though that it makes you think about the power of the original object and while you maybe were standing six people back from that vermeer there are thousands of other paintings at the Rijksmuseum where you probably could get right up close to it
2: true true
1: and that you know i would argue that the proximity of our bodies with an authentic real work of art from in this case the 17th century is so powerful and i and i and that's why i i personally can't wait to get back into the museum uh, more, and I can't wait for our public to come back to the museum. Yeah, and you know,
0: as we were talking about being able to access art all over the world, there is nothing like standing in the museum, looking at the painting, and just taking in the whole breath of it. And I miss that now. I mean, it's wonderful to see um starry starry night but to actually um be in close proximity it it's just not the same thing but i i wonder what do you see in the future future programs that the museum w- may offer and one one issue i think some you pay don't you you have to pay a fee you
1: know I- our museum most often our programming is free of charge okay it's very rare that we uh, charge a fee Um, but i mean if you think about it from a budget perspective we're we're doing for example we're about to open a gorgeous exhibition called black refractions from the studio museum in harlem it's 100 works of art by 80 artists from this incredible art museum in harlem in new york and um, really spectacular works of art and we're doing virtual public programming Lectures with the curator from the Studio Museum in Harlem, and we're paying her a honorarium, of course, for her professional work. Right. But we don't have to fly her to Utah. We, I mean, I wish right. I could. She's right. and I'd love R- to have her here. Sure. But we'll we'll zoom her in, and people can participate from wherever in this program. And so, okay. in some ways, we're able to offer and um, bring people together. Uh, in a way that would have been almost unaffordable to us and I think going forward Richard there will be more of a blending of this kind of programming so I, I don't see us going all back to in person programs right. where maybe 50 60 300 people would be present right That's usually you know our crowd size why not find a way to do it both you know why not and and bring people who are in the area and want to be there in person uh, to such a program, but also provide ways for people elsewhere uh, you know, who live in Moab to, you know, Zoom in and participate. I yeah. Think, I, think that, I think that's the way forward.
0: Yeah. And I, I was just going to ask, do, do you see um, the museum expanding these? Kind of, you just said maybe it'll be a mix. But I is, is there is there an, an area that you're saying, boy, this has really changed our thinking, Um about, say, bringing art to a school? Are there things that you've learned now saying, boy, we can really um, um, target
1: the the uh, you know it's still uh, working with a classroom of students whether you're doing it in person in the museum or whether you're doing it via a Zoom call, it still requires one of my museum educators to give that hour of his or her time. to Right. The endeavor, right. So it's it's not like robots can do this work for us right. in the future, but absolutely. And in a state like Utah, where our school community we're serving students and educators literally around the state. Mm-hmm. I've had, my museum educators have traveled five hours, you know how big Utah is, in a car and an hour on a dirt road, to very, very remote communities, um, and worked with um, student populations in person in very remote places. And right, it it does expand the ways in which we can serve um, students and um, educators across the state, and I'm very excited about that. We've we've been working in partnership with the Smithsonian American Art Museum now for a couple of years uh, in a really cool project that we're doing with them. And it, it's really interesting because SAM is America's art museum, right? It's, mm-hmm. It serves the nation and the world. And I was amazed to learn that they've been doing what we call distance learning. So this mm-hmm. learning via technology, they've been doing it for decades because they, and serve and work with students and teachers who are at uh, military bases around the, around the world. American military bases. So they have educators that go into work at Sam in Washington, D.C. at like three o'clock in the morning to work with a group of students who are, you know, wherever in Japan in Guam and all over the world. And so we've learned a lot from them and from our colleagues there about the technology and about the capacity and the capability of those technologies to really allow us to do that work even better. And um, it was sort of a perfect timing to be working in partnership with the Smithsonian when Mm. COVID happened here, and we found ourselves needing to make that shift to digital more quickly.
2: What
0: are, what have some of the other museums in Utah, um, done. Do you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping to speak with people from the Springville Art Museum to see how they've adapted. Sure. But um, I'm just curious what um, has, what other museums in the state have done. I'm also going to be speaking with the Moab Museum folks um, right. a little later about how they've adapted But um,
1: I think it's been quite similar to our experience, Mm -hmm. you know, a focus first on keeping our own staff and our and our community safe. A focus real quickly then to, well, how do we deliver content? Right. How do we connect with people? How do we stay alive in the hearts and minds of our community members and um, a shift to digital? In many cases, we're lucky because we already had a gorgeous website, Um, lots of smaller nonprofits. You know, websites are very expensive, and sure. so um, lots of smaller nonprofits m- might be struggling with the infrastructure that they have and uh, the the ability to reach people with what with the with the tools that they have. But Zoom is pretty wonderful, and I I know you've yeah. probably been on many Zoom presentations, and um, you can you can organize them in different ways, and <laughs> you can bring people together, and it and it sometimes it doesn't work, but oftentimes it yeah. does. Yeah. And and you can record them and yes. have people, you know, give people the option of watching later. Um, so I I would imagine like all like us at the UMFA, my colleagues and and, and I have been kind of feeling their way through mm-hmm. that and trying mm-hmm. to take advantage of the opportunities that where we find them. L-
0: Let's talk a minute about uh, um, the number of visitors. How uh, you know w- we all would say, oh, last year we had. Two million six hundred thousand and four visitors. Yeah, I guess it's a little difficult to keep track of all the all the folks who have been coming to your museum, both in person and online. Well Can you measure that? You
1: know, I, I, I we can talk with Mindy and maybe see if we can get some numbers for you that you could maybe mention in this piece. We we typically pre COVID Would would have about 100 to 130, 150,000 visitors, and that would be, um, that would really be mostly in-person visitors, but also that big number would include uh, K through 12 students and educators we serve around the state who may or may not actually visit the museum. We're what we're doing now is bringing people back. Um, We're about to expand our hours, so later this month we will be open wednesdays from 10 in the morning until 8 p.m will be open thursdays and fridays and saturdays from 10 in the morning until 5 p.m and will be closed to the public on sundays mondays and tuesdays Mm -hmm. so that's more closure than we used to have we used to only be closed to the public on mondays so that's Mm -hmm. definitely a shift um and when we are open we're um we are restricting the number of people that we're allowing into the museum so that we can be sure that people that there's enough space and it is a large building it's a it's a well-sized building sure. with high ceilings um but we're we are restricting the number of people we let in and asking people to register in advance so we have a sense of who's coming okay um so that we can allow visitors to keep that a social distance when they're in the museum and all visitors must wear a face mask at all time on our campus at the university of utah as well as in the museum and we also have um early at the first hour of every day we reserve for older people or people with underlying health issues who just might need a little extra feeling of safety sure and i will tell you that it feels safe it feels good and um and it's just worked very well now numbers wise are we going to be down you betcha Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um financially has this been a big impact on our museum because of all those sources of earned revenue have been greatly reduced yes it's been a big challenge for us but um again the focus has been on figuring out how to have the museum available to people those who feel comfortable now to come and visit
2: mm-hmm.
1: to make the museum available to them in a way that is safe and is going to keep them safe and keep my staff safe and we've done very well and we've worked with all the medical th- folks on campus and created mm-hmm. a plan at as well as with our colleagues at red butte garden and at the natural history museum of utah to create a plan that that really works and so my hope is this beautiful exhibition of black refractions which opens to the public on january 23rd I hope people will get online and reserve tickets. It's worth the trip from Moab for sure. We're one of only six venues in the United States chosen by the Studio Museum to host the exhibition, and I and that's the one thing that breaks my heart is for sure fewer people are going to see that exhibition yeah. than would we'll have otherwise. Yeah, and that would be very sad. Um, but it, all the work will eventually return to the permanent collection of the studio museum. So if you miss it and you don't feel like you can visit us in the next bit of time, the next time you're in New York, you can just run up to Harlem.
0: Yeah. And- yeah. Well, I hope yeah. so. Okay. Um, yeah. So just a couple more. Um, wh- wh- what kind of feedback ha- have you gotten from people about what you've been doing.
1: I would say the overwhelming feeling that I get when I talk to our visitors mm-hmm. and our online people who are going to programs digitally mm-hmm. is a feeling of gratitude. You know, a, a gratefulness that the museum is continuing to do great programming, a gratefulness that there is still art that's available to us mm-hmm. and to our hearts and minds during this time. And I would argue that uh, that now more than ever in challenging times, I think the human the human heart and brain needs great art to help us sort of process our own thoughts and feelings about the challenges that we're all experiencing right now, and to help us get us through this. You know, I, I think that what the museum and what the other arts and cultural organizations in our great state mm-hmm. offer is time to think and reflect and and um, and take solace and gain strength from great art objects. So a, a real feeling of gratitude and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels great to us because we're grateful right back. right?
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're that you are providing that service. It's Absolutely. it's it's I think people need it at a very deep level right now. Yes. That kind of uh, um, what what word do I want? Just the pleasure of seeing something that touches them in many different ways. And I think we need that now.
1: And I and I think connects us to the past and yeah. gives us hope for the future.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: I, I, I you know you, if you stand in the museum right now in the Chinese gallery, there is a pot that was is from present-day China that I think is four thousand five hundred years old. Mm. And and I don't know about you, but I'm just that just blows my mind. How could this thing created by a person? 4500 years ago how could that still exist yes
2: <laughs> Yeah. and
1: and be in a museum in salt lake city utah that just that just is amazing to me that this beautiful fragile useful thing that was yeah. created so many thousands of years ago by another person is there for me to think about and to look at and it gives me hope for the future you know we will get through this yeah. we will survive and hopefully most of us and and we will um, we'll be strong and we'll go forward.
0: Well, Gretchen, I want to thank you very much for, for joining us today here on KZMU in Moab. And I certainly look forward to the days ahead when I can get back up to Salt Lake City, go to the museum and go to Trader Joe's and other stores that we just don't have here um, But I will certainly uh, stop by and say hello when we get up there.
1: Please do, Richard. I will be so happy to see you in person at a distance with a mask on. Well, thank you.
0: You're listening to Art Talks here on KZMU, located in Moab, Utah. On today's show, we are featuring discussions with museum administrators about the impacts COVID-19 has had on their operations since the pandemic appeared over a year ago here in the U.S. and in Moab. My next guest is Forrest Rogers, who is the director of the Moab Museum. I spoke with him earlier this week about how the museum is dealing with the pandemic as it seeks to reopen its doors to the general public after being closed for almost two years following major renovations to the building and its exhibits. All right, well, thank you very much, uh, Forrest, for uh, appearing with us here today on KZMU in Moab, and I wanted to ask you, we've been talking with some other museums today about COVID, and what I'd like to know is how has the Moab Museum um, been dealing with COVID?
3: The Moab Museum has actually, in very strange ways, benefited somewhat from the environment, um, which causes people to be reluctant to be in closed spaces, be out in public and the like we closed the museum in september of 2018 to undertake a building renovation a Mm -hmm. very comprehensive building renovation and to design and fabricate a brand new exhibit experience Mm -hmm. we completed that process of renovation in late spring early summer of 2019 and continued to work on refining the exhibit content and the fabrication of the hardware for the exhibit, the platforms, the pedestals, the vitrines, et cetera. And we're planning to open on April 1st.
0: Oh, on April 1st March this year.
3: Of this, of, of 2020. Oh, okay. Um, and we perhaps ironically said we're gonna open on April 1st, no fooling. <laughs> but um, as you know, the um, the immediate rush of concern about the pandemic, and closing down much of the economy, much of the not-for-profits service to their communities occurred in March. So the board has been meeting, as it usually does on on third Wednesday of the month via Zoom. Staff, though, has been able to make some refinements in the exhibit, especially in some of the displays Mm -hmm. and in updating our iPad stories so, in some ways, this delay has been a, a small blessing for hmm. the museum. Hmm. We're fortunate enough to be able to keep our staff employed and working on things that for some time had, had been overlooked. Mm-hmm. The museum, like many small museums, had been seriously understaffed for decades. Right. And we've had the good fortune, because of uh, philanthropic investments, to be able to add staff and build a, a professional staff, and start addressing some of the um, some of the basics of museums that had been unattended. Most especially, our collections uh, records, our collections care and storage, and the like. We've uh, we've missed having the opportunity to if you will, pop the cork and open the building to the community. Although we have done uh, some exhibit previews, which we did in February of last year. Um, for a couple of weeks, we invited the community in. And then uh, in between October and mid-October and mid-November, we invited people from the community to come in on an appointment only basis. So we wanna be very cautious and careful about our community and, and protect our staff and our volunteers as well.
0: And that's what I was going to ask you then so the, the museum is 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 it completely closed now to visitors? I can't just walk up there and and pay my 20 bucks and go in can I
3: right question um, wrong dollar amount okay <laughs> personal uh, individual admission fee will be ten dollars okay the museum it, staff continue to work in the museum right we 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 went we did test the ability to be open on an appointment only basis from mid-october to mid-november and that was really because we we've, we've not yet had people in the building to help us evaluate the effectiveness of our exhibits hmm. and especially the degree to which visitors would engage in the interactive elements of the exhibit experience hmm we will be discussing at our board meeting next week our plans for the rest of this year my my guess is that we will remain closed except for appointment only um, probably through the spring and perhaps even the summer again it all depends on the public health environment in which Mm. we're operating
2: Mm. now
3: having said that we we do have people who from time to time will ask if they can come in and when staff is available staff is responsible is responsive to those inquiries
0: okay
2: Um,
3: so so for example we have um because of grand the grand mentoring program we've we've hosted a couple of mentors with their mentees on a couple of occasions it's been very ad hoc but i won't expect the board to be deliberating um continuing or going in a more robust fashion with an appointment-only public opening uh, until March.
0: Do you see the Moab Museum changing its exhibits or embracing virtual exhibits in the future? Is this a way for museums, not only in Utah, but around the world, to get their collections out in front of more people than they may have ever imagined?
3: You must be reading the industry literature because (laughs) the the pandemic has forced many museums that had heretofore downplayed or made virtual delivery of their missions, um, a, a second, third or fourth priority. We took Hmm. the first four to six weeks after we decided to close to take the exhibit stories that we have and the artifacts that are helping to tell those stories and move them to our website, which is uh, Mm creativelymoabmuseum.org. And what we've been able to do, therefore, is really amplify some of the stories that that are in the physical exhibit with additional storytelling additional perspectives and the like Hmm. we will go online in the next three to four months with an online collection which will allow visitors to the website to view and learn about between 35 and 50 objects to begin with
2: Hmm.
3: from our collection many of which are not currently on display Hmm. at the same time we um built during the during the fall we adapted a program that we ran in the summer of 2019 called Tuesdays at the Museum which were speakers programs and events Mm -hmm. in what was at the time the newly renovated but empty building Mm. and beginning in the fall we started uh, a series of programs called Tuesdays with the Museum which was a series of um, online Zoom-based presentations, conversations with authors and actors. And that was a first, although a somewhat um, uh, experimental mm-hmm. approach to doing programming online. And we will begin in the sp- in a couple of months doing the same thing again this spring. We're going to be actually what I would call a- Um, Tuesdays inside the museum, Mm. where we're going to be showcasing what it takes to run a museum, how the museum works in terms of exhibits, object conservation, and how we develop stories. With (laughs) the goal that we'll have a fall series that we'll start planning with an intent of helping to provide opportunities for um, some of the many tribal voices that are in Mm. our region that we feel are important to be heard.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. It, it seems to me that in a way, uh, COVID has opened doors, opportunities for museums to expand the scope of its offerings to the public. Um, you know, one of the things I've read is that in a, in a museum, maybe 97% of the exhibits are stored and you just, you don't see them and they rotate them out in, you know, over time. Perhaps there's a way for some of those additional exhibits that are not on display to, 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 to give the public an opportunity to see more than is just on uh, part of an exhibit in the museum itself. Do you think that, that could happen with your collections?
3: It will. Mm-hmm. And the the online exhibit that I referred to, the which is initially targeted to have 35 to 50 objects, right. is exactly um, intended to uh, perform that function. Oh, I see. Okay. And you're absolutely right, Richard. Somewhere, but certainly less than 5% of the objects in a museum's um, collection um, are on display at any one given time Mm -hmm. Um, now if you think about it that explains why museums have a very unwieldy cost structure because the 95 percent of the object the other 95 percent of objects have to be stored somewhere Mm. and and they have to be stored in environmentally controlled environments Mm. uh, to protect the objects for uh from from uh, degradation
2: mm-hmm.
3: so you're absolutely right museums are taking this opportunity to do more in the way of di- digital and virtual programming and they're also doing more in the way of what i would call more publicly um engaging programming that's not necessarily directly related to the exhibit or the stories that they are telling at the given time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, so for example, um, during the fall series that we had called Tuesdays with the Museum, the last two programs featured Kent Frost's nephew talking about Kent's remarkable experience exploring what is now Canyonlands. Hmm. And the many objects and artifacts that he found there that are now in the custody of the National Park Service or the Moab Museum. And that's something that I think helps people understand um, why somebody would collect something, Mm -hmm. first of all, and then why they would donate it to a museum or uh, a federal land agency rather than just putting it in the corner in their house. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other we, we used, the other program was Tim Martin, known as the, fly, the Arch Flying Cowboy, um, who is probably the last person to have flown in a small single-engine plane under many of the Arches. Oh, yes. The region. And um, each of the people featured, Ken Frost and, and Tim, have, have their own following, um, not just in Moab, but around the region. And we don't have we don't have one of Tim's planes, um, uh-huh. and but we do but we do tell that story because what he was trying to demonstrate he Tim was trying to demonstrate is that we have just an extraordinary landscape, um, and and there are many ways you can see it, and and there are some ways that you wouldn't think about seeing it, and and that's what he was demonstrating um, through his flying.
0: Hmm. What about? Um... Schools, I'm changing gears here. Um, I'm sure that the students in Moab are a target audience of the museum. And now, the last you've been closed for nine months. Have, have, have you been able to interact with the school system at all with your collection during this time? Or is that something perhaps in the coming months that you'll be able to do?
3: That's something that we were fortunately able to do during our closure Mm. and will continue to do in the spring of 2019. So almost two years ago when we were closed, um, our school programs manager who had a 30 year history of teaching in Moab schools and being an administrator and outdoor educator and the like, um, developed what we call get out and go history, which is essentially a field experience uh, that's aligned with core curriculum for grades two through six. Oh. So what we've done, and many museums do this, we're okay. not the only ones, um, they will develop school-based programs, both for in-museum exhibits, as well as for in-classroom exhibits or field experiences. And, and since in, the spring of 2019, we didn't have our new exhibit up, we decided to really focus on the field experiences. And so those, those subjects for the different grades are aligned with what the second, for example, the second grade teacher is, is targeting in her lessons plans to meet the Utah State core curriculum mm. content for second mm-hmm. grade most of those experiences fall into the category of science or social sciences mm-hmm. and so would include um, experiences on cultural history history of the region history of the indigenous peoples some of the natural history of the region for example the 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 Colorado Plateau landscape, the role of the Colorado and, and Green Rivers in the region, mm. and sort of the, the, the ge- geomorphology of the region. And and there's a different program for each grade. And that's been very well received by, by teachers, students, and interestingly by parents. We find that um, every week we see by the end of the week, we have more and more parent quote chaperones, unquote, Uh um, because they're having a chance to learn about the place in which they live as well. Sure, sure. We do offer a program for for kindergarten and first grade as well. Mm -hmm. And then we do have a two day program for the middle school. But our real focus is on those second to sixth grades. And that's really important because it's helping local kids learn in many ways, more about the place in which they live than they typically do day in and day out. Um, and, it's, and it's also important, frankly, because we want to inculcate a, a museum-going ethic for young people. Sure.
0: I, you know, I, as you were saying that, I just started thinking about the expansion of Utah State University here with um, th- their new building is under construction, and I guess ultimately they'll have a few thousand students perhaps in 20 years. Do you see an opportunity for, for the museum to partner with, with the university in the future? That's not a COVID-related question, but, it, but as you were talking, I thought, geez, that, that could be an opportunity here for...
3: You know, I, I've told people we have nearly insurmountable opportunities yeah. um, in our community. The, the partnership with Utah State University is one of them. My own personal background is I left higher education as executive assistant to Oregon State University, the land-grant university in, in Oregon. Uh-huh. And, and went to run a museum in Bend, Oregon. And when I was there, we partnered both with Oregon State University and University of Oregon to provide um, research space for students depending on their area of study. It also gave us the opportunity to create internships for students who wanted to learn more about a specific element of the museum. Mm -hmm. Um, In in the case of the High Desert Museum in Bend, we actually had a wildlife collection, a living collection. So we had students who were interested in wildlife biology um, who could come and, and help in that area, working with the professional uh, wildlife staff. I, and, and we're fortunate that Liana Etchberger, who is the Associate Vice President um, at, for, for the region, but based here in, in, in Moab, um, it, it serves as an, exec, as an ex-officio member of our Board of Trustees. Hmm. I think there are some great opportunities for us to work with, with the USU Moab team to create some internships some learning service um, or service learning experiences, and and depending on how they develop the academic programs um, and decide what emphasis they want to um, pursue, we may have the opportunity to participate and collaborate even more, especially in geology, archaeology, and perhaps anthropology.
0: Interesting, I think that probably um, has addressed many of the questions I have any final point that you wanna make about the, the museum reopening um, here? Gosh, who knows? Maybe, maybe by the time the vaccine starts to get distributed more widely, but the day when someone can just walk up and walk in, um, I, I'm guessing that that may not happen for several more months, but uh, you, you're, as you prepare for it, you. Um, what do you see as the challenge then in the, over the next several months for getting your visitors back?
3: You know, I think we're I believe that we are doing everything we can to prepare the building to be mm-hmm. safe uh, for visitors mm-hmm. when when visitors are ready to visit. Right. And w- w- one of the things that we are very aware of is we have a relatively small building. Mm-hmm. WE HAVE A RELATIVELY SMALL EXHIBIT SPACE SO WE'VE DESIGNED IT um, TO MEET ALL OF THE um, ADA ACCESSIBILITY REQUIREMENTS yeah. BUT IT'S STILL A SMALL SPACE mm-hmm. AND DEPENDING ON THE the VISITORS CONCERN ABOUT THEIR EXPOSURE RISK um, WE CAN MAKE THE PLACE AS SAFE AS GIVEN mm-hmm. WHAT we can, what we control, we can control.
2: Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. And, and um, so in the meantime, we're spending time, as I said earlier, amplifying our digital and virtual presence. Mm-hmm. We also are spending time during the course of the spring, really looking ahead to see what the museum's role can be within the cultural universe mm-hmm. that, that um, encircles Moab. Mm -hmm. Moab is a place and has a landscape that really does inspire creative expression of all kinds. sure Artistic, written, theatrical, musical, Musical. et cetera. Mm -hmm. And as we've redesigned the exhibit space, we no longer have the kind of mezzanine gallery that we had for the art to participate in art walks. Mm. And so we're trying to, we're going to have conversations within the community about how we can um, contribute to the artistic vitality of Moab and, and the county um, and, and what our role should be in that and, mm-hmm. and what we can bring to the table that isn't already being done by the mark or the artists who are involved in Moab Gallery mm-hmm. or, or the other artists and authors who are in the community and, um, you know, helping to make it an exciting and vibrant cultural uh, community.
0: Well, I, for one, am, am anxiously awaiting the reopening of the museum. It's a, it's a gem here in Moab, and I can't wait to see all the improvements that have been going on over these past several months. So, uh, Forrest, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today on KZMU. And we will be watching and looking forward to the reopening, and we'll be back in touch with you at some point in the future. So thank you for joining us today.
3: You're welcome. And remember, the museum is always open at www.moabmuseum.org.
0: Thank you. This is Art Talks on KZMU, and I'm your host, Richard Cott. I want to thank my guests for being with us here today to talk about how their institutions have responded to the impacts that the COVID pandemic has caused on their respective operations and what they have planned to continue to provide their valuable services to their visitors. I wish them all the best as they grapple with this pandemic, the likes of which we have not experienced in our lifetimes. If you need a pleasant diversion from all that's happening in the world around us, or just a break from the cold weather here in Moab, check them out. See what they have to offer. You can visit them online or in person, but check with them before heading out. Their hours may have changed, and program schedules may fluctuate daily. We've listed all their contact information on our website, so you can check out their programs and offerings. In next month's show, we will discuss the topic of women in architecture. We'll talk about the challenges and opportunities for women who have chosen to work in the field of architecture which has historically been dominated by men. My guests will include the chair of the architecture school at the University of Utah, representatives from the American Institute of Architects, and the Utah's Women in Architecture organization, and a woman who is practicing architecture here in Moab. I think you'll find the show quite interesting. And coming up in future shows, we will feature stories on landscape art, like the Spiral Jetty by Robert Smithson up on the Great Salt Lake. And we will also examine the field of art therapy, which is now more vital than ever, given the ravages of COVID on our mental health. I also plan to meet with school officials from Grand County and Moab to talk with them about art programs in our school system. And I also hope to meet with staff from Utah State University to talk with them about their plans for enhancing opportunities for aspiring artists here in Moab. So until next month, keep your mask on, get vaccinated as soon as possible, stay comfortably away from those around you, and remember, we can't wish this COVID thing away. But we can bring some joy into our lives by visiting museums, whether online or in person, or by going to an art gallery to help fulfill our need for cultural inspiration and personal enrichment. So remember to join us for the next Art Talks here on KZMU at 90.1 or 106.7.
2: And you can also stream us at kzmu.org.